Good morning, y'all, and uh, welcome to the Story Church. If we haven't met yet, my name is Dylan Braddock, and as Pastor Eric said, I am now the uh, pastor of discipleship, and we are having my official ordination service in like three weeks on November 5th, so I'd love to invite, oh, thank you, thank, thank y'all. Um, I would love to invite all y'all to come to that. I mean, I've been working at least part-time in ministry for 10 years now. So having this moment with my friends and family is gonna be really special. And you guys are my friends and family too, so I hope you'll make it out on the 5th. Um, and even if you don't care about me, you should come because it's the first service at our new uh, campus. So you can come see the new building instead of me, but I, ho I hope you come for me too. Um, so yeah, welcome if you're online. We're so glad you're here this morning. Um, we're on week five of our new series called Acts of the Apostles how God turned a band of nobodies into a movement for everybody. And if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, like I hope you have, um, it's been a really fun series so far. Like this is the way that I prefer to do a book of the Bible, like from one chapter to the end. Because when you read a book um, in order, you notice themes and key ideas that keep up popping up and repeating themselves. I mean, every week we've talked about the Holy Spirit. That has been a core theme. We've talked about the church, that has been a big core idea. And this week, I'm talking about another idea that we've seen in the first three chapters, and that is power. I think the book of Acts is a book about power. The church in Acts was extremely, extremely powerful, but not in the ways that me and you often think about power. Like when I think about power today, I think of wealth, I think of status, and I think of fame. Like those are the things you need to be powerful. But the early church, they had none of those things. They weren't rich. They were fishermen and tax collectors. They weren't high-ranking officials. They were just a bunch of average Joes. And they weren't famous. Everyone thought they were just a weird Sunday school class that was worshiping their old teacher. Like no one gave these guys any power. They didn't think they had any role to play in this game. But even though... They were a bunch of nobodies. God used them to make the most powerful movement that mankind has ever seen, and that is the birth of the church. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 3 today, and today I want to talk about power. So think about that as we're reading this passage together. Um, in Acts chapter 3, it picks up basically directly after what we mentioned last week about the birth of the church, about Pentecost, about the Holy Spirit coming to believers. In today's story, um, we're gonna pick up in verse 12, but let me summarize the first few verses so we're all on the same page. So Peter and John, two of the apostles, were on their way to the temple um, for an ordinary time of prayer. And when they were on their way to the temple, they saw a very ordinary sight. And that sight was people begging at the gates of the temple. Now, it's just like us when we drive to work, right? We'll, we'll park a car at a red light and we'll see people begging. It was the same thing for Peter and John. When they were on their way to the temple, there were people begging by the front gates. But what made this different is begging by the temple gates was kind of like the Jewish welfare system. If you were too poor or if you were too, uh, unable to work for physical reasons, what you would do is wait by the temple gates. And as people went to pray, they would give you money as their act of worship. So there was a man that day at the gate who had been lame for 40 years, for his entire life. And when Peter and John see him, they say to him in verse six, then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. 
but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Peter says this. He grabs the man's hand and helps him up, and the man is healed. This beggar starts jumping up and down and praising God. He's practically dancing in the temple, and everyone around him is amazed because they've known this man for 40 years. He's been a regular. Most of them had probably given him money and knew his name. And now this man who'd been lame was healed. This couldn't be a sham. This couldn't be a setup. This was real power. So as the dancing beggar ran out into the outer courts, the entire crowd followed him because they wanted to know what power had healed this man and whose name was this man healed by. So the crowds follow the man out. They surround around Peter and Peter launches into his sermon, answering this question, whose power healed this man? So we'll pick up in verse 12. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate. Therefore, he dis- even though he decided to let him go, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, This man, whom you see and know, was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Amen. So I've taken a few courses on preaching, and none of the courses I took ever said to attack the crowd you were preaching to in your sermon. If you notice Peter here, Peter doesn't really hold anything back, right? And and his entire... Entire first half of his sermon is blaming the crowds for the death of Jesus. He's like, you killed him. You disowned him. You exchanged him for a murderer. You, 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 you. He's blaming the death of Jesus on this crowd. And for us, that's kind of alarming. We're like, wow, Peter, like, calm down, man. That's a lot. Um, But verse 15 is key to understanding this first section of his passage. Peter says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. So the you there is yes, talking to the Jewish crowds, but the you is also talking to me and you. Because all of us put Jesus on the cross. Not just these people, not just the bad people at our office, like our sin nailed Jesus to the cross. So we all killed him. But that's not the end of the verse. It says, you killed the author of life, but... God raised him from the dead. But God are two words at the heart of the gospel message. Because it doesn't matter how bad and how sinful and how evil our actions are, God's love is always stronger. God's grace is sufficient and God's plan will be carried out. So even though we killed Jesus, God through his power raised him from the dead. And then Peter explains at the very end of this passage that it is by the power of faith in the name of Jesus that this man 
was healed. This man was healed by the power of Jesus's name. And this morning, that's the idea I really want to sit with, the idea I want to wrestle with. What does it mean when we say there's power in the name of Jesus? Or let me ask you a question, and don't blurt the answer out loud. Please just reflect on it in your own brain. But do you believe today that there is real, tangible, authentic power in Jesus' name? Do you believe that? Just think about it. I want you to think about that this morning. And I think it's an important question for Christians to consider because we sing songs about it all the time. Like we sing songs to say there's power in Jesus' name to break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. We sing it, we lift our hands up, but do we really believe it in our heart of hearts? Or let's take a step back and think about what kind of power is in Jesus' name? Like, how do we access it? Or let's even go to the most basic level. What is Jesus' actual name? Like, does anyone know Jesus' last name? Is it Christ? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think when I was growing up, I thought Jesus's last name was Christ. Like truly, I think that's what everyone thinks. They're being honest. Um, but that's a lie. It's just a title, Jesus Christ. Um, but now I'm sure you're all wondering, what is Jesus's last name? Like, am I a real Christian? I don't know my savior's last name. This is a problem. Um, well, to alleviate your fears, um, they didn't really do names like that back then. People are often known by the name of their father. So like I would introduce myself, I'm Dylan, son of Rick. But for Jesus, that was kind of a complicated way to introduce yourself. Because what was he going to do? Walk up as a five-year-old and say, hi, I'm Jesus, son of God. What's your name? Like you kind of have to grow into that title, right? Um, And um, the other way that people were identified by was um, their hometown. So that's why we often hear Jesus called Jesus of Nazareth, because that is the hometown he was from. But now let's go to his first name, the first name of Jesus. This name was assigned by the angel when it visited Mary. And the name actually is Yeshua, which is um, a version of Joshua from the Old Testament. And it means God saves. That's what the name means. And you can imagine in Jesus's time, that was actually a popular name to name your kid. I mean, who wouldn't want to be called God saves? Um, Did you know that there's actually two other people in the New Testament named Jesus besides our Lord and Savior? There's a man named Barabbas in the New Testament who was exchanged for Jesus before he was crucified. The gospels actually say Barabbas's full name was Jesus Barabbas. Isn't that fascinating? And there's another Jesus in the New Testament who is a disciple in the book of Acts. But to avoid confusion, they started calling him Justice because they didn't want to call this guy Jesus while worshiping Jesus. That could get messy. Um, So the name Jesus was actually common in that day and time. So how can a common name have power? Like, do we have to say it a certain way to make it work? I actually read an article online this week, and it was from um, an agnostic, but he was saying that he believes there's power in the name of Jesus like a spell. Like he said he used the name of Jesus as a spell to, to talk to some sort of higher power. And I hope none of us view the name of Jesus that way, like a spell we can conjure up or manifest our Savior. But even though we wouldn't say that, 
I feel like sometimes we act like that. Like you're playing a board game with your friends and you really need that double six roll. And as you're shaking your dice, you go, Jesus, please. And you see what you got. Or maybe you're at work and you haven't prayed in like six months. But as you're walking into the big business deal, you say, Jesus, please make this happen. And yeah, your heart could be in the right place. But when we use Jesus's name like that, how are we treating him? Another example that probably will hit closer to home is our prayer life. One of my favorite things to do in youth ministry is teach students how to pray. And the best way to learn how to pray is by doing it. So often just cold call on students at random times and ask them to pray for our meal, which usually is pretty effective. Um, And students usually honestly do a really good job of praying. I'll be like, hey, John, can you pray? And he'll be like, oh, okay, sure. And he'll bow his head. He'll say, dear Jesus, thank you for this food. Uh, I pray this Domino's makes us feel good. And we pray for Dylan that you bring the word through him and it's awesome. And then when the student gets to the end of his prayer, there's always this really awkward long pause. I'll be like, and, um, in Jesus' name, amen. And then the prayer's over. And they say, in Jesus' name, amen, as a way to signal to everyone else, the prayer is over, it's time to eat pizza, right? The in Jesus' name, amen part isn't really part of the prayer. It's just like this formality that we tack on to the end of it. And as I've been writing this sermon this week, I've really been analyzing the way I use the name of Jesus personally. And I want you guys to think about the name and the ways in which you use the name Jesus personally. Like when you pray in Jesus' name, amen, do you actually believe it? Like, are you praying in the power of the name of Jesus or are you just saying that because that's what you were taught? As I was reflecting this week, I kind of feel like our church, the church, has an issue with flippantly using the name of Jesus. And by that, I mean casually throwing it around all the time with not really, without really thinking about what it means. And sure, we could talk about our secular culture and the ways that they have abused the name of Jesus, but I'm way less concerned about them right now. I'm more concerned about us within the church. How are we using the precious name of our Savior? Because if we have a too laid back view of his name, it'll actually limit our understanding of its power. When I was in high school, um, I would see this shirt in the halls pretty often. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever ever seen it. It says, Jesus is my homeboy. Um, Anyone ever seen this shirt? Okay, a few people. Um, You know, I don't hate the shirt. I think it has a friendly component to it. Like it's an evangelistic tool to kind of share the name of Jesus with friends and emphasizes Jesus being our friend. But does that shirt scream power? I don't think so. I think it kind of screams, this guy's just a fun guy to hang out with. Or here's a shirt that um, some of our students actually shared with me this week that's even worse. So I don't know whether to laugh at it or like cry because it's so weird. It says, Jesus has risen. And if some of you people in here don't know what riz means, it's um, charisma. Um, So it's a play on words like Jesus has charisma, but he's also risen from the dead. And um, I hate to be like a crotch to the old man, but like part of that shirt just feels like icky to me. Like I'm not even 30, I'm not even that old yet, but that shirt just feels like really weird. Um, 
And I wonder if when people see that shirt, what do they think about our Savior? Like what message does that bring to non-Christians or people at our schools or people at our work? Because when people encounter Jesus in the New Testament, it often says they were filled with awe and wonder. And that word awe can actually be translated to fear. They were filled with fear when they saw Jesus. Do either of those shirts bring feelings of fear or awe or amazement? I don't think so. Not for me personally. I think our culture, our Christian culture, has become too casual with the name of our Savior. And because of that, we've lost our understanding of its power in our lives. If you think back to the Ten Commandments, the the third commandment says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. But most of us learn the King James version of this commandment, which is you should not use the Lord's name in vain, right? And vain, I like the word vain. It's like, it means empty, powerless, wasted, pointless. And this commandment says, when you use the name of Jesus, you should not waste it. You should not use it for no reason. But when I grew up, I thought the only only way we could say the Lord's name in vain was by saying a cuss word and attaching it to his name. And sure, that's an issue, but that is just the tip of the iceberg. I think there's many other ways that we as the church use the Lord's name in vain. The first is offering God and others a show. It's when we say one thing with our mouths, but we believe something different in our hearts. That is using the Lord's name in vain. Our words are empty and unfulfilled. The second way we use the Lord's name in vain is by teaching doctrines or commandments that are not in line with scripture. That is using the Lord's name in vain. And there are many people who call themselves Christians today who are teaching things that Jesus would have never said himself. That's wasting the name of God. And the third, and the one I talked about earlier, is just throwing the name of Jesus around casually, like it means nothing, making our faith just cliche statements. Our words matter, especially our words about God. Because when we misuse the words about God, it's not only an infraction with our creator, but it's also affecting our witness to others. We need to be careful about our words. When we tell someone, I'm praying for you, but never actually pray for them, that is using the Lord's name in vain. When you tell someone you wanna break up with them because God is telling you so, that is using the Lord's name in vain. Anytime we blame something on God that God really didn't tell us, we are misusing the name of God. When we use his name, we should always say it carefully, precisely, and meaningfully. So now that I have freaked you guys out, and you probably never want to say the name of Jesus again, I hope in this second half of this sermon to kind of empower you and to teach you the power that does reside in Jesus's name and equip you to use that in your own life. So I found this week that there are three ways that Jesus's name gives us power. And the first is his name reveals his identity. The Jewish people have always really valued the power of a name. 
especially the name of God. One Old Testament scholar wrote, in the world of the Hebrew scriptures, a person's name was often thought to identicate something essential about the bearer's identity. Because of this, most other Old Testament gods in the ancient world, they wouldn't share their actual name with their worshipers. They would always share a pseudonym because they didn't want mere mortals to know the name of God. Like there was something wrong about that. But God, our God was different. And he chose to reveal himself to his people. This happens in Exodus chapter three, when God tells Moses and the Israelites, my name is Yahweh, which means I am who I am. And this was an incredible groundbreaking moment in Israel's faith journey, because this was a revelation about who God was. God's name revealed part of his essence, part of his identity. And being named, I am who I am, God was saying, I am uncreated. I am eternal. I am unchangeable. I am all-knowing. And I will always be with you. That was all displayed in Jesus and God's name, excuse me. And once the Israelites received this name, Yahweh, they immediately started printing it on shirts and putting it on billboards. No, I'm kidding. They actually did the opposite. The Israelites did everything they could to keep the name of God precious, to keep it pure, to keep it um, unruined. So they actually came up with other names of God that describe his character so they wouldn't use his personal name. They would use names like Adonai, which means Lord, or they would call him Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide, or Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is our peace. They would use these other names for God so they could keep the name Yahweh safe and secure and precious. And they would only use it in the most important forms of worship. God wanted to be known by his people, but God was still holy and his people were still sinful. So even in revealing his name, God only partially revealed himself to the people of the Old Testament. They couldn't know him fully. But that all changed in Jesus. When Jesus came, God was fully revealed to man. Jesus says as much himself in his prayer to his father in John 17. In verse 25, he says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, we do not have full knowledge of God, I know you, and they know that you have sent me, and I have made your name known to them will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. In the name, or should I say the character or the essence or the teaching or in the life of Jesus, we can fully know our God. And there is power in that. There is power in knowledge. There is power in knowing who our God is. Scripture says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So we obtain power in knowing who our God is. Think about how many people out there, how many atheists and agnostics are out there wondering who is God. There are people who spend their whole lives wondering who is this God? Who is our creator? Who is the one who's given me purpose? And us 
and Jesus, we know the answer to that question. We have power when we know the identity of our God. And we can only know it through the person of Jesus Christ who fully revealed God to us. His name reveals God's identity and his name gives us authority. There is no authority in the name Jesus alone, but there is infinite, limitless power in the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, we just sang about it, right? And look at how people in the first century talked about Jesus's name. These are people who lived with Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who witnessed his life, death, and resurrection. These people had this to say about Jesus's name in Philippians chapter two. And what's so cool about this passage is this is one of the earliest passages we have in the New Testament. The book of Philippians is written around 50 AD, but most scholars believe this hymn was recited by the church for years before it was written down. And here is what those first century believers said about the authority in Jesus' name. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. He gave him the name above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and on heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to, to the glory of our God, our Father. At the name of Jesus, every knee, every knee will bow, whether we choose to or whether God makes us. That is the authority in Jesus's name. And Jesus's authority, where does it extend to? It's not just here on earth, it's in heaven and it's under the earth, meaning Jesus has authority over demons. Jesus has authority over our enemy. And what's even more crazy than Jesus's authority is that Jesus gives his authority to his believers. He gives that power to you and to me. How do we know this? Because Jesus tells us. In Luke 10, he sends out his 72 followers and he tells them to cast out demons in his name. And when they return, guess what happens? The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in what? In your name. And in the Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, so you therefore go out and make disciples. This authority that Jesus has, has been given to his believers. And this is the authority in which Peter and John went out and preached and healed and cast out demons. It was in Jesus' name. But one of our greatest fears as pastors, as we study this book of Acts, is that some people would view these stories and this power as something that was only in the past, as something that was only accessible to the first century church. It was mythological or it was some ideal that we could never live up to today. But I wanna tell you this morning that that is a lie. Everything that happened in Acts, everything that happened in the early church can and does happen to this day in the church around the globe. So you might be wondering, why don't I see it? Why don't I see demons being cast out? Why don't I see healings? Well, maybe the reason is because you don't trust God enough to let him do it. You don't actually rely on the power of the name of Jesus. You prefer to rely on your own power, 
on your own wealth, on your own skills, on your own goodness, instead of actually trusting God and see what he can do. Because in our society, I found that when people have problems, the first thing we do is usually throw money at it until it gets better, right? Like, let's say um, you're feeling unmotivated and having issues with purpose. What do you do? You hire a life coach or a counselor or a healer to speak truth into your life. Or let's say you're unfulfilled and you need something new. You go on a vacation or buy a new car, buy a motorcycle. We, We trust our own power, our own money, instead of relying on God's infinite power. Because the power of the name of Jesus is greater than anything money can buy. We taught on it last week, but it all goes back to prayer. Like when we pray in Jesus's name, we have the highest power possible, but 99.9% of Christians don't use it. It's like God has given us this tool to pray in Jesus's name, but we just throw it to the side. And this morning, I don't want us just to believe in the power of Jesus. I want us to use the power of Jesus in our lives. I want us to pray with his authority. I want us to pray big, bold, powerful prayers in Jesus' name and watch him work. Pray for authority over the sin in your life. Pray for healing. Pray for God to come to your unbelieving friends. Pray for it in Jesus' name and watch him work. If the church wants to have the same power the church did in Acts 2, then we have to use what God has given us, the power of Jesus Christ's name. That is the power we have. We don't need money. We don't need possessions. We don't need fame. We just need Jesus. That's it. But more important than the authority that Jesus's name gives us, Jesus's name gives us intimacy with the Father. It is only in Jesus's name that we can have intimacy with our God. I heard a story once about a soldier in World War II. And this soldier lost both his brother and his father in the same battle. And he wrote home to his sister and to his wife and to his mother, and he told them what had happened, and his family was heartbroken. And they asked him to come home and help out at the farm because they needed a man. He was the patriarch and they needed him to come home. Uh, So he said, yeah, I want to come home, but the only way I can be released from duty is by an exemption from the president. So this soldier went to the White House and his plan was to walk up to the front doors and hopefully ask President Lincoln to be exempted. So the soldier walks up to the White House And as soon as he gets to the front door, the guards yell at him. They say, what are you doing here? Get out of here. Get back to the front lines. Don't you know the president is busy? He doesn't have time for you. So the soldier, disappointed and honestly heartbroken, walks away. And he finds a bench a mile away in a park. And he sits there and he just begins to cry. He doesn't know what to do. He's just heartbroken and And while he's crying, a little boy walks up to him. And the boy says, hey, man, what's going on? How can I help you? And the soldier just opens his heart to this little boy and tells him everything that's happening and and how he needs to go home. And the little boy looks at him again and says, I think I can help you. And the boy grabs the soldier's hand and he runs him right back to the White House. But instead of walking in the front gate, 
he takes them around back and walks them right past the guards and walks them up to the second floor and they walk past generals and the high-ranking officials and no one stops him. And they finally get to the Oval Office doors and instead of knocking, the boy just barges in holding the soldier's hand. And when they walk into the Oval Office, there is President Lincoln and his general looking over battle plans. The president looks at the soldier. The president looks at the boy. And then the president says, good afternoon, Tad. How can I help you? Tad Lincoln knew that his dad could help. And he looked at his father and said, daddy, this man needs your help. The soldier told Lincoln about his problem and Lincoln exempted him from battle so he could go home to be with his family. There is power in the name of Jesus because through the son, we have direct access to the father. We are welcomed into a place that we have no business being in on our own. We are ushered into the presence of God and to his throne room, not by anything we have done, but because of the son. The son has a unique relationship that allows us to be one with the father, to have fellowship with him. So how do we have that intimacy with the holy God? Well, Peter tells us in the next part of his sermon, I wanna close with this. In verse 17, he says, Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you act in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he'd foretold through all the prophets, saying that this Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. We experience intimacy through God or with God through repentance. Repentance is our refreshment. And I know repentance is a harsh word. I know repentance is a strong word that may bring feelings of shame or guilt. And if you feel that way, I'm sorry, but look how Peter describes repentance. Peter says, repentance leads to refreshment. Do you need to be refreshed this morning? I know I do. I could use a cool breeze on a hot day. I could use an ice cold iced tea after mowing the lawn. I could use a renewed sense of God's presence. There is refreshment in repentance because in that moment, we turn from our sin to a God and go from being sinful to righteous. We go from being lost to being found. We go from deserving God's wrath to swimming in God's grace. We go from being far off in a distant land to be in God's loving embrace. That is what repentance is. And it is our refreshment. If you wanna be refreshed this morning, the only way you can do that is through the powerful name of Jesus. And yes, Jesus gives us authority to cast out demons and heal and see miracles. But the biggest power, the greatest source of power Jesus gives us is to be known by a father. 
Would you guys pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for the powerful, powerful name of Jesus. At his name, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. God, let us not take this name for granted. Let us not use it flippantly or throw it around like it's casual, God, but let us be a people who understand the power present in Jesus' name and use it for your kingdom's sake. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus, amen.